You're listening to GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers, now available on iTunes and all other podcast platforms with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. GDA Podcast showcases insightful conversations from the best thought leaders, educators, policy experts, motivators, and storytellers on the keynote speaking circuit today. Want today's guest at your next event? Call GDA Speakers at 214-420-1999 or visit gdaspeakers.com. And now, here's this episode of GDA Podcast with hosts Scale and Kyle Davis. Enjoy. Today's guest on GDA Podcast is DeWitt Jones. DeWitt is one of America's top professional photographers. 20 years as a freelancer for National Geographic, shooting stories all over the globe has earned him a reputation as world-class photojournalist. As a motion picture director, he had two documentary films nominated for Academy Awards before he was 30. His work is well-known to the corporate world as well in advertising campaigns for clients like Dewar Scotch, Canon, and United Airlines. I'm thrilled to have DeWitt as our guest on today's episode of GDA Podcast. Welcome, DeWitt. Hey, DeWitt. Very nice to be here. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could we could bring you on. And uh, for those wondering, this is, I think, what, Mom, your final episode from the, the great state of Oklahoma? Yes, it is the final remote episode. Today, though, it's very exciting because DeWitt is all – are you in Hawaii today, DeWitt? Are no, you in I'm not. I'm, I'm, in, um, I'm in Lake Tahoe today. Okay. Oh, rough. So we, yeah. Tahoe, Dallas, and <laughs> Oklahoma. What a nice ring. <laughs> we, are, we are loving that. You know, that. DeWitt, I was thinking um, as I was preparing for this, and I've had the privilege of being in your audience many times, and, you know, one of the powerful aspects when you speak to an audience are the images of your amazing photography and how they help tell the story. And I know today we don't have that visual component. So I thought um, I might take a moment as an audience member to share with the listeners what I've seen happen in a typical presentation. Um, DeWitt has these incredible quality, high resolution, beautiful, beautiful photographs. And as he tells a story, he will advance and have just the perfect image that supports that um, point that he's making in the story. And I, I always notice these oohs and awes of folks that are sitting in the audience. And it's a shame we don't have that today. So we'll have to really use our imagination. But one of the stories that I always remember in Dwight, you know, it's been a few years, so feel free to correct me if I've got it wrong. But I remember you talking about, I think you were in India, but I know you were going over a hill and you were looking at a valley of lilies. And you made the comment that you just, it was so vast and you wanted to take a picture of that. And you did. And, and it was just this beautiful image. But then you thought to yourself, gosh, what would happen if I laid down in the lilies and took a photograph? And it's so different. And when that photo comes up, you know, again, you hear this audible sound from the audience. So I, I just wanted to share that for people who may not have been in your audience, that typically that's a big part of it. And with that, I would just like to lead into, you know, how did you 
pull out these great messages uh, that you deliver in your keynotes? And, and at what point did you see, gosh, you know, these photographs tell a story that I can share from the stage? Well, you know, they they tell a story that I could share from the stage, but they also tell a story that goes in to people at a very different level than just hearing words. Um, they're they're much more expansive. They they touch us in emotional ways. And I didn't have this in the beginning, but I came. I've come to understand or believe that a keynote speech tells people things they already know in a way they'll do them tomorrow. Uh, if I said there's more than one right answer or don't be afraid to make mistakes, you'd go, yeah, I know that. I, I got it. Would you do it tomorrow? No, because it would be flat and kind of boring and you've already heard it a thousand times. Uh, but if I show that to you in the lily field and I say that, you know, what, what perspective we have makes a huge difference in terms of what we see. And I show you uh, an, an, a nice but relatively uninteresting picture of the lily field. And then I show you one that there is that audible gasp and people will never forget that image. I've just shown you what I'm talking about in a way that is way more powerful than if I didn't have the visual, especially because it's... it's Go ahead. Yeah, it's that thing that a, a picture's worth a thousand words. Right. And if you add the right words to the picture, then they're worth even more than that. So if I just showed you the picture, you'd go, oh, the guy's a good photographer. But if I'm drilling home a message that I want you to do and feel motivated enough to do tomorrow and the next day when you offer your client more than one right answer or a different perspective. And you remember that uh, because you remember the image. You already know the yeah. lesson. If I was training you, I'd be giving you brand new information that you've never heard of before. But I'm not. I'm, I'm motivating you to do things that you probably know how to do. You've probably heard them before. But if I can make it so you're on the feet, on your feet at the end of my talk, and motivated to go out and celebrate what's right with the world and see the world with new eyes, then, uh, you know, I've really done something. That's, that's my job as a keynoter. I give a much more inspirational speech than a motivational speech. I want you to be inspired from the inside. And, and, and I didn't know how powerful those visuals could be until I started doing this. Um, I've had people come up to me and they'll say, you know, I, I saw you. I, no, I, I don't even remember where I was. I was in a room with no windows and uh, I don't know who I was working for. And I don't even remember what state we were in, but you told the story of your daughter in the hammock and, yes, and they remember it. And then they repeat the whole story. And it's 10 years ago that they saw me. And it's really incredible how those images both lock into somebody's mind and how powerful they are when they bring them back. Can you uh, tell our listeners about the photograph of your daughter? Because I can see, I can see that image crystal clear right now. Well, it, it, it was, it, I was in a campground in Zion national park. My daughter was all wound up in this little hammock. It, I grabbed a snapshot of her. 
Uh, it was poorly exposed. It, it, it was a lousy moment. It's really quite an awful picture. But I stayed with it, and I tried to say, what am I falling in love with in this picture? What am I celebrating? And, and laying out the concept that by celebrating what's right, we find the energy to fix what's wrong. I then moved to another picture that is really quite beautiful of my daughter lying in the hammock. And then I eventually say, uh, you know, like Michelangelo, I saw an angel in the stone and carved to set it free. And at that point, I go to just a, a shot of her face with the lines of the hammock in front of it. And there is an audible gasp in the room. Yes. You know, it's everybody's daughter. And, and they know that moment where they have so brought out a vision by celebrating what's right with it, rather than starting as we so often do by just griping about what's wrong with it. And, and that image of my daughter gets really embedded deeply inside you. Um, yes. The other thing is, you know, if I, if I walked into a predominantly male corporation and I said, you know what, we're going to turn off the lights and feel our feelings. I could clear the room in about three minutes. <laughs> You know, Three. they would die no, for the think, exit. I think it'd be about a minute and a half. <laughs> okay, a minute and a half, right? Yeah. And and yet if I walk in there and say, hey, guys, I'm going to show you some pictures, so we've got to turn the lights down. And I've told the, the audiovisual group that I want every light out in there. I want to be as dark as a theater. I don't want you to be able to see the person next to you because I want you and that image and my voice to be the only thing that you're listening to and dealing with. And And so... You know, they're having a very private experience, as you would have in a motion picture theater where you've forgotten everybody that's around you and you're just in the movie. Uh, and that becomes very powerful. It's not something where you can, you know, you're also working on your laptop and there's lights on in the room. And if you get bored with the speaker, you can look at a lot of other things. I'm not giving you any of those choices. I'm giving you my voice and the still image. Um, and when when people say, well, we'd like to put you up on iMag at the same time, I say, no, don't do that. Then they'll watch my they'll watch me moving around. I don't want them to watch me. I want them to watch this iconic image that they're going to remember for the next 20 years with the story that I plant. I didn't know how powerful that would be when I started doing it, but it turns out to be extremely powerful. I agree. I'd like to go back. How did you get into photography and, and then as you share that, how did you get the gig with National Geographic? Because I'm sure many, many photographers desire that but never have the opportunity. Well, uh, when I was a junior in college, some friends of mine had this crazy idea that they would go behind the Iron Curtain and paddle in canoes from from Germany all the way to the Black Sea through a lot of Eastern European countries. And they got permission to do it, and they asked Geographic if they'd like to fund it, and Geographic said no, and they said, well, we're going to do it anyway, so could you just send along a little film? And the two guys that took the pictures, eventually that was a very successful article in the Geographic. I was not asked on that trip. I didn't. I knew about it when it was happening. They already had it filled. But the next year, I got with two of those guys, and in my senior year at Dartmouth, 
we decided that we would try and do the same kind of an expedition and paddle 1,100 miles up the coast of Japan in kayaks. And kind of, it was a something that was done in those days, sort of a people-to-people expedition where you were showing the country you were in a different view of Americans than they were normally used to seeing. Uh, somebody else was taking the, the, the still photography, so I decided I would make a movie out of it, and I had been accepted into Harvard Business School, and I withdrew my acceptance and applied to UCLA Film School to learn how to make movies, and called my dad and told him that that was what I was doing. <laughs> and I have never heard such a deafening silence in my life <laughs> as my father said, you're doing what? Uh, but I did that. I went out to UCLA. I made that my master's project. I got it funded by the Geographic. And while I was doing the movie, I also met all the people there in the still department. And uh, two years later, they hired me to do my first still assignment on the conservationist John Muir. And that started a 20-year relationship shooting for them. So, And this is really absurd when I look back on it, but my first published photographs were in the National Geographic. Uh, I, I obviously had some talent. I obviously knew what I was doing. I was a quick, I was a quick learner, uh-huh. but it was incredible. And then they send me out all over the world to take still pictures. Well, not, not, yeah, not a bad break. Not a bad break. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I probably would have said some words for you about not going to HBS, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my father said a few, but he, he supported me and let me go to UCLA Film School. So again, but, there, but there's nothing wrong with UCLA either. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's at law school there. So um, when like we had this kind of conversation uh, prior to going to record, but uh, when you're you know whether you're shooting for yourself and your own pleasure, you're shooting on assignment or for whether it be National Geographic or, or for somebody else. you know, what kind of goes into, you know, the composition of the shot? How do you get the picture? You know, what are you going for? Or does some of this just fall in your lap? Um, How does the magic so happen? Well, I, I grew up in photojournalism. So everything I did for the geographic tells a story, but actually every picture tells a story. And, and what you have to do is, figure out what that story is very quickly, be able to say, you know, whether it's the story of the, of, of the rider on the bull coming out of the chute in a rodeo, or whether it's just a tree against the skyline, what is, what is the essence of this story and how do I enhance that and get rid of everything else? That's the basic idea in any picture that I, I don't want anything in there that distracts you from the essence of the story. So I have to be very good at figuring that out. And, you know, part of it may be a story of a person. Part of it might be the story of light or the story of line or angle or, or, um, you know, a thousand other things, but I have to know what that is. And then I use all of my technique and technology to enhance that and get rid of everything else. And I always start by, you know, by what's right in, in the story. You know, what am I, what am I falling in love with? What am I, what, what, what made me turn my head in the first place? 
And then the rest of it is fairly easy. When I can get a lock on that, I can, I can say, well, I need a telephoto lens or I need a wide angle lens or I need a slow shutter speed or I need a strobe or all the other technology that falls to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can break that out if I'm teaching for all the steps, but I've done it long enough that it just happens. I've walked down the street, something literally turns my head. I go, oh, man, look at that, right? <laughs> and then I'm already starting to say, you know, what lens, what focus, what shutter speed, what f-stop, do I need anything else? Where do I want to stand? All of those things immediately start coming into my mind and are, and being answered, um, but it, it would be the same thing actually that I would do if I'm, if I'm writing a story for the platform, you know, what's the story and how do I tell it in the cleanest possible way so that the audience isn't distracted by any word or body movement is enhanced by my gestures and my tone so that I can, so that I can get them to feel the same thing that I feel you know, when I first heard the story or when I'm looking at something uh, that I want to make a photographic image out of. You mentioned... Te- you know, do it. Uh, I'm go, sorry. Go ahead, Kyle. You, you, you mentioned technology, and I know that for, like, some people, when, you, like, when you're when you in Brooklyn and you talk to some of those cool hipster kids, they're always like, oh, I only shoot on film. I don't do digital stuff. I, I, so I, I guess my question is, is, it sounds to me like you really embrace technology and, and kind of how it can you know, enhance a photograph, whether you're, you know, doing an elongated shutter speed or if you're, you know, deploying a strobe or something else like that. But what have you seen just generally the shifts in the the photography or cinemagraphic industry with regards to going from film to digital to now people having, you know, the 15 megapixel iPhone in their pocket? Um, I, I, you know, the business has collapsed because of that. The business of being a photographer is much, much harder uh, now than it was 25 years ago. The joy of being a photographer has skyrocketed. I mean, people are, the, the technology to get pictures has become much simpler, which has made much, many more people think they're photographers uh, because, you know, and, and we're using billions of more images to communicate, all of which I think is great. Um, I don't really care what the medium is. The medium is chosen for, for the end product. You know, if I want to make a, uh, a mural that's 60 feet long and, and 40 feet high, I I'm probably going to go back and shoot it on an eight by 10 camera or five by seven camera. Um, but every day, what do I shoot with? I shoot with my iPhone because it's the world's greatest visual sketch pad. You know, you can practice and play and make your eye much, much better uh, with the iPhone. Does that mean I don't still have what I call my big boy cameras? Of course I do. But uh, I'll use whatever medium is out there. Um, and, and in fact, uh, the only class that I teach during the year is an iPhone class, because um, I'm fascinated by by getting people to realize what they can do with that phone and, and, and how they, they can make some great pictures, but they can really enhance the way they see the world. I, I will say, and I think my mom will say this for me as well, is that uh, I am a prolific iPhone photo taker, much to the chagrin of my brother who thinks it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there is some, there's some amazing work being done on it, uh, on the iPhone. And, 
being able to shoot and actually uh, do the post-processing right there, I mean, on the phone and, and putting it up on your Facebook page and, you know, mm-hmm. every night I post every day on Facebook or every night actually. And, you know, by the following morning, I've shared it with more people, more people have seen my image that I put up on a given day than have seen all of my one man shows in my life. That's ridiculous, but very cool. You know? That's amazing. Yeah, I, I just I, I like the idea of like, the only reason I bring it up is because I, I find so often that people kind of like constrict themselves to you know one form or medium or another. But like something as simple as an iPhone, I mean, it's not earth shattering, but it, it provides you an opportunity to have something that's you know readily available to just you know capture a moment and and then you know talk about it later. Well. The, the the line is the best camera is the one you have with you. Right. Right. If it's in your if it's in your car or back in your house, it's not a camera. It's a piece of metal or plastic and glass. That's what it is. Okay. It's only a camera when you're holding it. Right. So if you know, so uh, I just took a two week trip. I went, you know, I went to Orlando and and New Orleans and New York and Colorado, and all I took was my iPhone. Um, and I got some fantastic pictures with it. Well, now I'm so going to have to take this great. class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Earlier in the in the podcast, I was asking you if you were in Hawaii or Tahoe. And I know you live a portion of the year in Hawaii. I'm curious what drew you to the islands. And I'd also love it if you'd talk about the way you customized a presentation there that really brings in the essence of Hawaii. Sure. Um, I, my wife and I had gone to Hawaii many times. We were windsurfers at that point in our life, and and that's some of the best windsurfing in the world. And so we'd gone there, and mostly to Maui. And I loved it, but I never really thought of living there. I I didn't know how I'd make a living there, and I also uh, it was already pretty built up for me. I I was living in on the coast in, in, uh, Marin County and it was beautiful and, you know, it just hadn't really drawn me. But then a friend of mine asked me to come to the Island of Molokai, uh, and two things happened. One, I, you know, we all go to places where we just feel like we've been there before. We, some of them we, we expect and we get there and they feel that way. And some of them we don't expect at all. And they just hit us when we get there. And Molokai was like that. I, I got off the plane and from, from Maui, which was beautiful. I stepped on the ground in Molokai and I went, I'm home. And I looked at my (laughs) wife and she said, I feel the same way. And we didn't even know what we were talking about. We're standing on the tarmac at the airport, but that's how strong, we felt about the place. And then we found that, you know, Molokai has 7,000 people. It has, it doesn't have a stoplight yet. It doesn't have a building over two stories. It doesn't have an escalator. It doesn't have an elevator. It, it, it's very, very rural. And yet it's eight miles from Maui and 30 miles from Oahu. So you were like stepping back in time about 75 years and, except that you didn't come there on a three-masted schooner. You came there in a plane, and your cell phone worked, and your Wi-Fi worked, and you could do business any place in the world, and yet you could live in this very rural, tropical island, and it was amazing. And uh, it took me a while to arrange my life so that I could live there. Uh, 
also probably on the island of, of Molokai, only 15% are white. The rest of them are mixed or Hawaiian, about 60% Hawaiian. So you're living in a foreign culture, but you're in the United States. And having traveled all over the world for the geographic, I like that a great deal. And I really like the Hawaiian culture. So to answer the second part of your question, uh, one of the things that I didn't quite realize when we moved there was that there's a huge number of corporate meetings that come to Hawaii. <laughs> and that was thrilling for me because there aren't many keynoters that live there. Uh, and and not only that, but as I learned more and more about the Hawaiian culture, I wanted to come up with a show that expressed that to the people that, that came to these meetings. And so um, I put together a show that uses the girls from the local hula troupe, the local hula halal in the show. And um, there's a, a line in a Hawaiian called a-a-i-kahula, which means dare to dance. And um, that could have been right out of many motivational speeches. You know, do you, will you dare to dance in your life? Will you engage with it? Will you do it? Will you try to be more than you thought you could be? And these girls have, from this tiny island, have gone over all over the world dancing. And so they come and I tell the story and they come out on stage and they dance and, and uh, everybody loves it. I usually get a standing ovation in the middle of the show, which is kind of fun. <laughs> and, and then I go back into telling some more stories. And at the end, I exhort the audience to say, you know, will you dare to dance? And I said, the only answer to that is yes. And of course, the lights come up and the girls are there and I do a hula with them to finish the show, which usually brings down the house. And, and uh, it's really been a lot of fun. I and, and we have actually, ago. we have actually, I, I remember, you know, cause the girls get a great kick out of it too. They're, they're usually dancing to audiences of a couple hundred on Molokai. And we were at the, visitor center or the convention center in Oahu. And I walked backstage. I said, now just know that when you walk out there, there are about a thousand more people than there are on our <laughs> island. You know, So they get I something out of it. I remember too. years ago when I had another life before I started this company 18 years ago and I worked at EDS and I managed their large corporate event and we had you. And I'll never forget sitting in the chairman's office describing that I was bringing in a photographer. Yeah, he used to work for National Geographic and he's going to talk about the extraordinary vision and what's right with the world. Oh, and by the way, he's going to bring these hula dancers and they're going to dance and it's going to be a part of the presentation. And he is just looking at me, scratching his head going, if I hadn't heard some of your ridiculous ideas before and seen them work, I would be wanting to know what the heck you're talking about. But I remember it's just perfect. I mean, it is so perfect for an event in Hawaii. Um, well, you, you've really been, pulled the essence out. I, I love Hawaii too. And I, I love when you're a part of a program there and you really tap into that and bring that culture. I, I love that. I do too. And, and people are just stunned by how beautiful Hawaii is. And, you know, the weather, I mean, my wife says it's like living in amniotic fluid, you know, we just... <laughs> You're just happy all the time. And when I try and tell people that my house in Hawaii does not have heat and it does not have air conditioning and they go, you, that can't be true. And I go, it is true. You know, uh -huh. it's true. That's the, it, it, the, 
the, the temperature is so consistent that I don't need heat and I don't need air conditioning. Oh man, that's uh, beautiful. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I, Kyle, do you have anything else? I've just loved reconnecting with Dwip. Oh, no, I mean, I, I find it really interesting that you went from one temperate climate in the mere woods along, you know, northern California all the way to Hawaii. And when I lived in San Francisco, I didn't have an air conditioner either. <laughs> so, so that, right. That's you were freezing all the time. Yeah. I, I was freezing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, until the Pineapple Express winds came in and the next thing you know. I'm getting covered in rain for the first time ever Absolutely. in a long time. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I just love, I, I think the, the, the thing that could make this conversation so much better and not, not saying that this is a bad conversation or anything else like that, but what makes the <laughs> keynote really good is the, definitely the visual component. And like we, yeah. we could, we could talk till we're blue in the face and, and one of us pa- passes out. But I think people really just have to really kind of have to understand kind of how, someone who like like yourself can have just a shift in perspective and if you go from just taking what would be a traditional standard photo uh in a daisy field like we were talking about earlier versus you know getting in the ground and laying in there and just shifting the perspective on how you look at something um it'd be beneficial because the visual representation is is hugely important it is and i as i said i didn't know how how strong these single visual images can be, especially when they're connected with words, very different than if I have a a show of just photography. You know, you don't know when you walk around and look at it what I was thinking, or there's no higher purpose to it. It's just they're beautiful images, and I do that well. But I like it even better when I can tell a story that is going to help somebody in how they live and link something something that will help them to those images so that is it is really powerful and it really stays with them well i think that is a a good place for us to wrap up uh thank you dewitt and with that if you'd like to book dewitt jones uh for your next event you can do so by contacting gda speakers at 214-420-1999 or by going to gdaspeakers.com um if you go to gdapodcast.com, we will have a link uh, to DeWitt's Facebook page. And Do you have an Instagram account as well, too? No, I haven't really gotten on Instagram, but I'm very oh, heavily on Facebook. So that's totally that's your easy. medium type. I think you'd like the boundaries, the square boundaries. <laughs> uh, but with that, with that being said, uh, we'll, we'll definitely link to his um, – his Facebook page, Facebook page. on uh, com, as well as the transcripts, and we might even take a few select photos uh, that DeWitt has allowed us to use and put them on there so that you can <laughs> see it. Uh, with that being said, thank you, DeWitt. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, DeWitt. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. If you're interested in booking today's guest, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. Visit gdapodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and be informed of new episodes, blog posts, and more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash GDA Podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned for more from GDA Podcast and GDA Speakers.